0: Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. Absolutely jam-packed weekend of sports. Let me tell you, I have a three-screen setup at my workstation where I consume sports to do the podcast and write and all the stuff I do, and even I did not have enough screens for points of this weekend to watch everything that was on live at the same time, but... I did what I could to bounce around between everything to keep an eye on the relevant events. I was very grateful the NHL staggered their games over the weekend, so every single game got their own window. That way I was able to watch every single game by itself without having to flick back and forth, get a real good understanding of where every team was in their series, events that were going on because during the week when there's only like the 30 minute 40 minute staggered start times and i have to watch two games at once i'm pretty good at doing that at this point because i've been doing it for a while for content purposes but i still can't absorb a game as fully as i can when i'm watching the game by myself i ideally when i can watch one game at a time. I can take notes i have my notebook out i'm writing things down keeping ideas trends and i'm able to follow up on things whereas if there's multiple games on at the same time i'm not going to be able to do the details as well where i'm going to be able to do little case studies try and see who's going up against who seeing what zone time leads to actual shots on goal scoring chances versus what's just empty calorie scoring opportunities so Ideally the NHL should do this all of the time, but I understand during the week that's not feasible because you're going to have two games that start at 7, 7:30, 9, and then 10 to meet with your television providers, to meet with, you know, fan attendance because that's ultimately usually what drives the start times for these games, but it was really good over the weekend that that wasn't the case that I was able to watch all of these games, really give them some of of fair bit of attention to understand what was going on in all of them so i feel like i have a better grasp on where every team is at i've checked in on the nba we had a formula one race we had a nascar race the mets uh pulled off one of the all-time great comebacks thursday night when i had already finished recording the podcast and we'll talk about the mets briefly but The bulk of today's episode will be centered around the eight NHL playoff series. I'll talk a little bit about the NBA because I did check in on all four of those series. As I'm recording right now, the Sixers and Heat game has just started. They're early in the first quarter, only six minutes in. It's tied at 13. We'll talk a little bit about Joel Embiid real quick towards the end of the show. But before I get to today's content, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Number one, please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts. The show, the Upper Bull GM podcast, is available on all of your major podcasting platforms. Number two, if you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because those are the two most prevalent platforms, I implore you to please leave the show a review. On Apple Podcasts, after you've hit that subscribe button in the top right corner, you're going to scroll past the recent episodes, probably going to have you go through five or six Underneath that, there's going to be five clear purple stars. If you could hit the one furthest to the right, that's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, Write a review. If you could be as so kind to leave a written review, a few kind words, that would be greatly appreciated. If you were on Spotify, the show is there. However, if you want to leave the show a five-star review, The platform does require you, when I say platform, I mean Spotify, requires you to listen to a few episodes before you do. If you're new to the show and you haven't done that yet, you can tap on a couple random episodes, hit that 15-second skip button four or five times. Three or four episodes, you do that, it'll let you leave a five-star review. If you could be so kind to do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. And as I say, every single episode support your content creators, folks. A lot of us are out here grinding away doing this stuff to get to another job or doing it on a small platform, trying to grow said platform. So any and all feedback is appreciated, no matter what content you're consuming. If it's on YouTube, if it's on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, if you're an adult still using Snapchat, if they're on Twitter, wherever you see content you enjoy, interact with it so other people can find it. And that means a lot. Oh yeah, the Rangers lost. I'm very depressed. Uh, We're going to talk about it. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. I was debating between if I was going to go in chronological order of the series, starting with the Friday games, then the Saturdays, and then the games today on Sunday. I don't think I can do that. I think I have to start with the Rangers series because I've got some thoughts. I've spent the better part of my Sunday and I spent the entirety of the Calgary-Dallas game Saturday night just really stewing over the Rangers' problems in this series against the Penguins. And these are problems most of us who are in tune with hockey and what's required of winning in the playoffs. The the underlying way problems that the Rangers have had most of the season, That is still the problem now. And yes, the Rangers have played good regular season hockey for good stretches. You don't win 51 games in the regular season without playing well at some point. And yes, Igor Shesterkin was a god this year. He's going to finish probably 4th or 5th in the Hart Trophy consideration. I know the Toronto-centric media has made their up their mind. They, they've they said Austin Matthews is going to win the Hart, so I've I've let that ship sail on me, but... It is not a realistic plan to expect a goaltender to bail you out every single game. And it's why, it's why, when that dipshit Arthur Staple at the Athletic wrote that story after game two, that, well, it's okay if the Rangers don't play good defense because Shesterkin can just save them and they'll score enough goals. Well, what happened on Saturday when the defense tackled him Prevented from him from making that first save because ne- Patrick Nemeth is one of the worst defensemen I've ever seen play professional hockey. Just, just period. One of the worst defensemen I've ever seen play professional hockey. And from there, they got boat raced. And yes, after the first period, they get back in it. It's four to four. And I never felt confident that they were going to win that game for a few reasons. Number one, Georgiev's not bailing you out the same way Shesterkin is. Yeah, Georgiev let in a total softie. He should have made that save 100 times out of 100. I don't disagree with everybody who's complaining about Georgiev not making that save. The Rangers turn it off and on way too much. And I know everybody wants to say, well, they're a young team. They don't have playoff experience. And here's why I'm going to tell you that excuse is bullshit. The Rangers' best line through these three games has been the kid line. It's been Kako, Lafreniere, and Hedl. That's been the Rangers' best line through this entire series, without question. The most consistent line that when they get the puck in the offensive zone, they will maintain offensive zone time, they will cycle it, they will work the puck high to low, and generate a pressure conventionally. It is the people who know better. It is the first line with Zbigniewicz, Kreider, and Vitrano, and the second line with Kopp, with Strom, and with Panarin that need to know better. And... Everybody who knows what they're talking about understands the limitations of the way the Rangers' scheme is set up. The Rangers are a rush-based offense. They need to go from defense to offense quickly and catch the defense at a position with their high-end players. They need Zabinijad firing that cross-seam pass to Kreider or Vetrano low, and the Lightning just went up 4 nothing on the Leafs as I'm recording. But the Rangers need that puck to be whipped across the seam to another shooter catching the goalie moving left to right with a rush opportunity quickly after entering the offensive zone. Otherwise, they have a hard time scoring. And number one, it's by design. I went back and I looked through it because I hadn't skimmed it in a while. Jack Hahn, the... I don't even know what to call Jack at this point. He was an assistant coach with the Toronto Marlies and the AHL. I guess he's a consultant as the title I'll give Jack for now. Jack Hahn, he's a hockey consultant. He works with a lot of developmental players he had worked with the maple leafs organization in talent development he wrote a a layman's x's and o's guide to every single nhl team very useful resource it's only 20 bucks i highly encourage you to buy it if you're curious about hockey tactics on a more refined level than what you might see on a normal broadcast in that diagram he has of the way the rangers like to set up he mentions specifically in the notes with the limitations offense may struggle if rush opportunity is not present because of spacing the way the rangers set up in the offensive zone they're very condensed they're trying to play the puck down low in that dangerous area around the net mouth and get it across the crease to the other side where the goalie's isn't moving left to right and that is ideal that's what you want it to be but against good teams There's not going to be as much space for that down low because the defensemen are going to be in a better default position to break that play up. And when that's not there, the first line and the second line haven't been able to adapt. They are not choosing to work that low to high game, which I've been tweeting about for three games now. Since game one against Pittsburgh, where they scored two goals off of that, both of them on the power play... They haven't gone to that on the first and second line to the same degree I would like them to. And when I say low to high, I mean they get the puck below the goal line in the offensive zone behind the goalie, and then they play it up the boards to the point, and then there's a shot from the point that leads to a redirect, a deflection, a rebound, whatever. If you can get that, that will work better against Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has smaller defensemen. Now... If you're playing a more rugged defensive team, say you're playing, I don't know, Calgary or Dallas perhaps, Carolina with some bigger defensemen, you're not going to be able to do that as much because their defensemen are going to push you out of the crease and you're not going to have as much of a free release. But in this series against Pittsburgh, especially because Brian Dumoulin has been out since Game 1, the Rangers have not worked that enough. And then number two, the Rangers' defense has been horrendous in this series. They are giving up high-danger chance after high-danger chance. They are letting Pittsburgh kill them underneath their own goal line, and the Rangers are not winning the puck battles they need to to win this series. And I know for a lot of people, you think a puck battle is luck. Part of it is luck. Part of it is default positioning. You need to know where the puck is gonna be so you can take an educated guess and be there before it gets there so you can win some of those puck battles. Because let me tell you, my frustration with this series is that the Rangers have more talent than the Penguins. They do, period. They have more talent. They are not playing like it. And Mike Sullivan is coaching coaching circles around Gerard Gallant right now. Gallant is using the fourth line way too much. You should not be playing your fourth line 12, 13 minutes in a playoff game, period. That Ryan Reeves group should be playing nine minutes tops. That third line needs more ice time. The first and second line need more ice time. Number two, you cannot, cannot, when you have last change, be sending the Reeves line out there against Crosby. Sidney Crosby is destroying the Rangers. And I understand Sidney Crosby is one of the best hockey players of all time. I begrudgingly acknowledge this. I am tired of Sidney Crosby and the Canadian exceptionalism with that exists within hockey media because the media in hockey is so Canada centric. I'm ex- beyond exhausted. I don't want to hear about the referees calling everything for Pittsburgh and nothing for the Rangers. I don't. That's a tired talking point. The Rangers are not playing well in this series. Their in zone defensive coverage has been awful. They are getting beat because everybody's out of position. Everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to make a play, not following up where they're supposed to be, leaving guys open for tap-ins, and it's been bad. It has been bad. They are lucky to be up two ga- only down two games to one in this series. I could make an argument they probably shouldn't have even won game two, but they did, and that's great. At some point the Rangers need to be more consistent. That has been my biggest gripe through this series. You saw a dominant second period from them coming back from 4-1 down to get it knotted up at four. And they didn't follow up on it. The goal that won the game for Pittsburgh only happens because Patrick Nemeth is the worst defenseman in hockey. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I went on Evolving Wild the last day of the regular season Patrick Nemeth was the last 0.1 percentile out of 100 and wins above replacement for a defenseman. He was the worst defenseman in hockey this year, and he is still getting ice time. If you think Zach Jones is worse than Nemeth, I don't think your opinion matters. Period. I don't. And the last point I want to make on this series before I move on, because I could do a full hour just on the Rangers-Penguins series so far. I don't want to hear about this is good experience. They are getting worked. They, Rangers, the Rangers, not they are Rangers, the Rangers are getting worked at 5-on-5. The Penguins have the puck for two minutes at a time in the offensive zone because the defensemen can't clear. The forwards aren't creating any offense because they don't have the puck enough. They don't win puck battles enough to create a cycle. All of the things that could go wrong for them so far are going wrong. They are playing a third-string goaltender, and you really wouldn't know it because Louis Deming has made some really good saves, and the Rangers are not making him work hard enough. That, that's what it comes down to. At some point, I need the culture changers to show up. I see all of this bullshit about Ryan Reeves, Barkley Goudreau, Jacob Truba, Chris Kreider, about how the culture's different this year. They're still getting worked by mediocre teams, by teams worse than them. You know how everybody was all bent out of shape that they got smoked by the Islanders and the Capitals last year because the Rangers were soft, air quotes? They're getting worked by Pittsburgh, who's soft. What does that make the Rangers? Okay? That's why all the bullshit, the rhetoric surrounding the team from the regular season, I never bought into it. They beat up on some bad teams. They stole a few against good teams because Shesterkin and the power play were very good. At some point, this this magically improved culture needs to win them an important hockey game. That's what it comes down to for me. That's all I got on the Rangers. Because if I keep going, I'm going to punch a fucking hole in the wall. Okay, number two. Next series I want to touch on. Another series that was played Saturday. Washington and Florida. This has been a very interesting series in the case study of what matters in the playoffs. Because, for the most part, I'm of the opinion that offense is what matters. You can't win a hockey game 0-0. You can't have your goaltender win every game for you. You can't expect your defense to be perfect every single game. But, that said, Washington is doing a great job of mucking it up slowing Florida down through the neutral zone, not giving them the ability to generate offense off of the rush and making Washington work for its offense. And Washington's defense is holding up. That is what I thought would be the problem in this series for them. I thought Washington wouldn't be able to keep the pace in this series just because Florida is so much physically faster. When you think about Florida and you just run down that lineup in your head of Barkov and Huberdeau and Marchman and Drew and Anthony Duclair and Anton Lundell and all of the guys in that lineup and how straight line fast they are, you would think a slow team like Washington with John Carlson and Michael Kempney and Nick Jensen and all of the guys who were really good three or four years ago would be a problem for Washington, but Washington's held up. Samsonov was really good for them yesterday and on Saturday in that game. They won 6-1 to and Florida Florida's gotta figure something out defensively because they're not winning any of those puck battles down low and it's giving them problems. Washington is not a great team, but Florida doesn't look ready for this. And that's a damning indictment of a group that reset like all of the metrics in terms of offense. You would think that Washington would have a miserable time trying to keep pace scoring with Florida and Florida's not scoring enough in any of these games. That's the real bitch of it. I think Florida could win the Cup if they figured out how they needed to play. But they're down two games to one right now. And they looked lost yesterday in Washington for Game 3. I, I There's plenty of time left in all of these series. I should have started. The actual content of today's show with that disclaimer that there's plenty of time left in all of these series, except maybe Colorado-Nashville, which we'll do next because that one's pretty much a dud. It's just a matter of if Nashville can steal one game and make this go another one, but I digress. Circling back around. We come back to this idea of what it takes to be good in the postseason, and the old hockey heads will swear you need big defensemen who are physical, who can win puck battles, get the puck up high, you need forwards who can cycle the puck, grind you out, get the puck to the point, work those ugly goals florida's got the ability to score in any way they want they're just not doing it so far which is what's been so confusing about this series because i felt like this was academic i felt like this series would go the same way that florida um that um colorado and nashville would but washington and without tom wilson which is worth repeating because wilson played all of a minute and a half in game one and he didn't play game two he didn't play game three and washington is in good shape here they stole a game in florida They're going into Game 4 with a little bit of juice that, hey, these guys should be scared of us. We can play with them. Their talent level is nothing to be scared of. And Florida is going to have to figure something out. I know it was a cute story that, you know, the plucky expansion team is kind of here. This is their moment. They made all the moves. They went and got Ben Chirot. They got Claude Giroux. But but Sergey Bobrovsky's had a solid bounce-back season after a dreadful statistical year last year. Making the playoffs is nice. Uh, It keeps people in their jobs. It's about winning Stanley Cups, man. Florida's got the forward group to be that good. They've got Aaron Ekblad, you've got Mackenzie Wieger. You've got a decent amount of talent on that roster and they're gonna need to rally here. There's no other way to put it. They're gonna need to rally here. And it's not going to be easy because Washington has been mucking them up, slowing the game down, limiting the total number of chances in the game. In the way you would if you were playing a high-powered offense in football, you know the way every boomer person on Sports Talk TV or radio says, well, yeah, if you're playing the Chiefs, you got to run the ball to limit the number of possessions. It's not about limiting the number of possessions. It's about minimizing the total number of possessions in the game and only having a handful of plays decide the game. That's the gamble you're running when you do that, and that's worked for Washington so far. So that is something to keep in mind. If Florida can turn the tempo of the game up, make Washington get involved in a track meet, then Florida is going to coast. Until Florida can get the tempo of the game resembling what they need to be successful, they're not going to because their defense is leaky and their goaltending is suspect. That is a real problem for them. And the last thought I have here for Florida Washington is... I'm really dreading the hockey media takes we're going to get if Washington wins this series, because we're going to get all of the same bullshit we got about the Canadians last year, about you need to have big defensemen who are physical, who win puck battles, and in reality, they play this series 10 times, Florida probably wins 7 of the 10 times, but we're in one of the three universes where Washington wins, and that's just the nature of hockey weird things happen i gotta peel it back and i will do a deep dive at some point on monday go into the stats and kind of try and figure out the underlying number reasons why whether it's fluky shooting bad goaltending whatever it is i'll do some of the real legwork to try and figure that out going forward because i haven't done that yet in any of these series and i probably should give you a little more detail next up i have the the latest game on Saturday. I I won't talk too much about Colorado-Nashville, but that'll be next. Dallas-Calgary. The Stars and the Flames are having an old school lock them down defensive struggle. This is Big 10 West, AFC North. This is the ugly kind of football that only real football heads can appreciate. I know I was listening to 32 Thoughts the other day, and Elliot and Jeff Merrick were talking about how boring it's been from a neutral standpoint because there's not a lot of offense. It's been a lot of ugly hockey, and I understand that opinion, and it's been very funny to watch John Klinberg be the target of Calgary's ire for some reason, even though John Klinberg is a pretty non-threatening, non-problematic individual. But for whatever reason, Calgary has decided he's the guy they're going to go after. And Calgary has had a hard time. I had I had Lyndon on the show. I think there was about a month to go in the hockey regular season. And we were pretty sure Dallas was going to make the playoffs, but we thought Dallas wouldn't be able to do much when they got there because they're effectively a one-line team. The, the Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, and Rupe Hintz line does the bulk of the work for Dallas. And in this series, that's been enough. That is what's been so fascinating about this, is that both of these teams are... A bulk of the offense comes from the first line for both of these teams. Calgary's got depth. Calgary's got four really good lines, three pretty good defensive pairs, and Jacob Markstrom, pretty good goalie. In this series... You wouldn't know that Calgary was one of the best teams in the regular season because Dallas has gotten them off of their game. So strategically, tactically, whichever word you want to use to describe it, Dallas is using a passive box in the defensive zone. And I forget who brought it up on the TNT broadcast the other day, but on Saturday night, but they mentioned it, that when Calgary gets the offensive zone, Dallas is compressing down to protect that, high danger area the net mouth and around to about the top of the circles where if you want to pass around the perimeter and cycle around the boards that's fine dallas is going to let you do that but you're not going to be able to get the cross seam pass and you're not going to be able to drive the net because dallas is so compressed towards their own zone and it's interesting because in the regular season what made calgary so damn good was they would just dump the puck in go get it cycle it low to high and work those ugly goals And in this series, Dallas is more than content to let them do that. They're just winning the puck battles in a way that teams in the regular season against Calgary didn't do. And that's what makes this so cool and such an interesting tactical decision is that Dallas is consciously choosing to play a style of hockey that's a little outdated just honestly speaking a lot of teams can't survive playing like this because they don't have a, the goaltender of a high enough quality which Jake Ottinger has been very good through three games they don't have the defenseman necessary to break out of the zone and absorb that pressure which they do in Klinberg and Miro in and a few other guys Ryan Suter's had a decent series which I kind of didn't expect because Ryan Suter wasn't very good for them in the regular season but that's kind of weird and I picked Calgary to win the Stanley Cup when I was on the Pick a Team podcast two weeks ago. I told you guys that on Thursday or Friday of this past week when I did the show. I still think Calgary can win this series, but they're going to need to figure out the offense. The Calgary defense isn't really a concern for me. I mean, they're not giving up a lot either. I mean, Dallas won Game One, one nothing. They won two two to one yesterday uh, on Saturday. I I don't think I'm worried about the Calgary defense, but Calgary's got to figure something out offensively. Matthew Kachuk, I love you, bud. I understand you're a feral lunatic and you felt the need to fight John Klimberg. You're more valuable to your team on the ice than in the penalty box. And it's really important that he understands that. And it's really important. He gets it going. That was the best first line in hockey during the regular season between Matt Kachuk, Elias Lindholm and Johnny Goudreau. And you wouldn't know it based on this, how this series has gone so far, the flames, if they're going to win this series They're going to need more from that group. And I love that Flames team. I thought they were the best team in the regular season. I thought they were going to be good before the season started. Even when they were dealing with that massive COVID outbreak in November and they missed three weeks. I thought they were still going to be fine. And they were. There's plenty of time for this series to go their way they got to get their offense going and it's been weird to see it not going because it was so consistent in the regular season. I mean, Matt Kachuk had 104 points, Johnny Goudreau had something like 108, 109 points. Elias Lindholm had 35 goals and almost 100 points. Amazing group. They got to be better. They got to be better. And that it sucks to say that, but you got to work what you're good at and Calgary's been flummoxed here and that's an underlying theme here in all of these series in the team that's down 3 to 3 nothing or 2 to 1 whatever team is trailing in their series they've been flummoxed at scoring and they haven't been able to score enough to win their games That's the thing that makes the NHL playoffs so interesting from a nerd perspective. I think that's the best way I can put it, a tactical perspective, is that... I talked about this on Friday. Every team plays one style. They might have wrinkles within that said style, but if it's not working, they're going to double, triple, quadruple, quintuple, sextuple... They're going to keep doing what they're doing, just try and do it better. There is no alternate game plan, there is no play-action pass, there's no trick play. They're just going to keep doing what they're doing, but more intently. They're going to focus back on what the fundamentals of their system are and try and do that until it works. That's why you see things like Calgary's inability to score more than 1 or 2 goals in any given game against the Dallas team. That's not particularly good, but Dallas is really good at slowing the game down and turning every game into a rock fight. That is fascinating to me on an observer level because we don't think about hockey strategically the way we do football, baseball, and basketball where there are like profound Everything has a counter. The way I describe it with football is rock, paper, scissors. Everything in football has a counter. You're running a two-high zone? Okay, run the ball. You're running a three-high? Okay, you got to attack the seams. Everything in football has a counter. And hockey, that's not as true. Because so much of hockey is based off of reading where the play is going that you're going to have to have some innate understanding of the game in a way that the systems are your baseline that's what you're supposed to be doing but you have to react to what's in front of you and that's what makes these playoffs so interesting is that you had teams do something for 82 games and that got them here and some of these teams will just keep doing what they did for 82 games and they'll be out in the first round in five or six games that's just the way it works because the way you match up for 82 games is different than the way you play one team seven times if you get to a seventh game over the course of two weeks something like that so something to keep in mind in terms of the dallas calgary series next last one from that first batch of games that started on tuesday of last week colorado nashville colorado's boat racing them um nashville did their damnedest to steal a game connor ingram was terrific in game number two nashville could very well steal a game on monday night but for all intents and purposes i mean you're seeing colorado's dominance here um we got to see what the deal is with Darcy Kemper, the Colorado goalie, took a stick to the face. They don't know of his availability. He probably won't be playing in game four on Monday, but they don't think he will be out more than another couple days. That's really good to see. The Avalanche goaltenders have had a checkered injury history. Everybody remembers Philip Grubauer getting hurt in the bubble, Pavel Francois getting hurt in the bubble, them having to start Michael Hutchinson in a playoff game. That, that is the kind of unfortunate shit that happens to you in these playoffs and there's really nothing you can do about it man injury luck is part of this equation it's baked in and not every team has depth and if you just don't have depth you can be a great regular season team you can win 58 60 games in the regular season you lose one guy and that could be it for you and we've seen that happen to Colorado a couple of times here. Nazem Kadri getting himself suspended on more than one occasion, both as an avalanche and as a maple leaf, costing his team because he wasn't available. So you got to do what you can to control the situations, but even when you can't, like the avalanche, they're down to a second string goalie right now, take care of what you can handle. Kale McCarr... Having his coming out party, I think that's the best way to say it. He has been dominant in this series. So many opportunities to score, so much influence over the game because of how often he's on the ice and what he does when he's on the ice. He makes everybody on the ice better because the defense has to respect him. When a defenseman is as respected with the puck as a forward is, that's going to draw a defensive. Of coverage towards him that you wouldn't usually shade towards a defenseman and that's going to open up somebody else to score Devontae is outstanding one of the most underrated players in the entire sport they've got McCarr, they've got Landis Kog, they've got Nathan McKinnon they've got Nazem Kadri who was an all-star this year they've got a really nice group of depth pieces Colorado is a cup favorite rightfully so the heaviest betting favorite I think they were plus 350 like two almost one and a half times best odds over florida who was the second best team coming into the playoffs who's down two games to one ironically enough but colorado's taking care of business man when you're a great team you can get by on just your talent sure colorado will probably have to play better in their next series whoever they play but all of that said they need darcy kemper back nashville It's a great story. I love the Predators. They're one of my favorite teams to watch. I'm very upset UC Soros isn't here. One of the better players in the league this past season. Um, If Shostakhin... Wasn't Superman, he UC Soros would have a legitimate argument for Vezina trophy winner. He should win end up should uh excuse me. Soros should finish somewhere around third probably in the Vezina because he missed some time with some injuries. But Soros was outstanding, really kept the Predators alive a lot longer in this season than they should have. They shut him down the last week of the regular season, said he would definitely be out the first two games of this series. He did not play game three. It's doubtful he's going to dress for game four. And even if he does, do you really want to throw a goalie into the crucible of a series against the Avalanche after not playing for two and a half weeks? That kind of seems a, a ridiculous order, to say the least. And I love UC Saros, one of my favorite players in the league, really entertaining personality. And the Predators, they're that middle class of team that they just want to make the playoffs every year, keep their season tickets, their season ticket holders content. And when the time comes, they'll make a push to go after it again if that opportunity comes. But this is going the way it was kind of expected to. Nashville's dinged up. They're missing their best player in Soros. Colorado's deep, man. Colorado's able to withstand missing their starting goaltender. And you wouldn't really know other than the fact that it's not Darcy Kemper because they score so much. Okay, cycling over to the opposite games. The games that were played on Sunday today as I'm recording. Number one, Boston back from the dead. I'll be honest with you. I thought after two games in Carolina, Boston was more or less dead. They couldn't score... They were without a lot, um, a lot, not Elias Lindholm, Hampus Lindholm, excuse me, the defenseman, at, without him. Charlie McAvoy missed game four. He tested positive for COVID and he's got to be pretty sick to be out with COVID at this point because the NHL is only requiring teams test players showing symptoms. So all the best, Charlie McAvoy, one of my favorite players in the entire sport. I have a Charlie McAvoy Boston University jersey hanging behind me as I record this. I hope Chuck gets well soon. Um, the Bruins... They battled, man. I did not know if they had this in them. They just lack of depth, to be honest with you. In the regular season, Boston was a two-line team. They reunited the Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn line uh, going into Game 3. It worked. They scored. They got their power play back together working. They survived. Jeremy Swayman, really good game, both in Game 3 and in Game 4. I've been impressed with Boston's resilience. I still think Carolina's going to win this series. I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't, but boston is showing moxie and just a competitiveness they didn't show last year when the islanders started to pull away from them that the bruins just kind of wilted and in this series carolina really came out flying those first two games and boston said okay back to the drawing board we'll figure out what we need to do and boston is really dinged up they're missing a number of guys especially on that back end They went to the second goalie, Swayman, as the series shifted from Carolina to Boston, and Boston is still here. I was higher on the Bruins during the regular season, during that middle stretch when they really turned it on, won something like 15 out of 18, 19 games, something like that. I had Cam on the podcast who works for Harvard's hockey program, big Bruins fan, towards the end of the regular season, and we talked about what it would take for Boston to make a a run. And Cam's main thing was that first line was going to have to take over and the defense was going to have to be great. Defense hasn't been outstanding, but that first line's taken over since it got reunited, and that's keeping them in this series. Like i said i still think carolina will pull this series out probably in seven games now as opposed to six like i picked before the series started but boston is showing some resilience they're showing some they're showing experience i mean boston has been through these wars man that is a veteran team loaded with guys who want one last chance you don't know if this is bergeron's last go around in boston poster knock's an unrestricted free agent after the 2022 2023 season And there's a lot of uncertainty up there. I'm very curious to see what happens in game number five. I really do think that's the kind of swing game that swings a series. I forget what the stat is, but when a series is tied at 1-1, the team that wins game three wins the series. I think it's 72% of the time, something like that. Boston got it back to 2-2 from 2-0. That was my Bill Burr impression. Bill Burr just talks like that when he talks about sports. I, I, it wasn't as good, but that's what I was going for there. Last thing I want to say on this series, excuse me, I should have I should have finished my thought. The last thing I want to say on this series: Carolina needs to get back to what makes them dangerous. They need that forecheck humming they need to be on the boston d there needs to be no room to get the puck out of their own the bruins out of their own zone to get to offense carolina's got to start smothering again on the forecheck that is the recipe for success force the bruins into mistakes get those ugly high danger scoring chances near the net mouth where you can just broom handle the puck in that's what carolina needs to get back to and in a way they haven't the two games up in boston okay next series St. Louis, Minnesota. The Blues tied up that series at two games apiece on Sunday. I got home, got that game on, watched that game in its entirety. I was very, very impressed with Jordan Cairo, who I've always been very high on. The Blues got guys, man. That's one of those things that we can sometimes overthink when it comes to evaluating a playoff series. Granted, the Wild have guys too, but when I say guys, I mean... You don't got to worry about what they're going to do when they're on the ice. The Blues got a handful of those guys. They got Ryan O'Reilly. They got Jordan Kyrou. They got Robert Thomas. They got Pavel Buchnevich, They got Vladimir Tarasenko. They've got guys. Guys you just don't got to worry about. Ivan Barbashev, you don't got to worry about. Braden Shen, you don't got to worry about. When those guys are out there, they will take care of their business. Really? entertaining game for about 50 of 60 minutes and then the blues kind of pulled away towards the end the wild man the defense was kind of in disarray which is really out of character for them because the wild that's been their calling card basically as long as i've been watching hockey that's always been the wild's thing they're a defense first team when you have a defensive group that's that talented with guys like doomba and spursion you would expect them to have the game on lock on that back end and today the blues were in mark andre Fleury's kitchen two ugly goals the one jordan Kyru goal happens because the defense turns the puck over he's able to gain the zone with speed he beats mark andre Fleury on the backhand and that was the game more or less the wild gained a few pushes they had a few good opportunities they had one really good chance on the power play But Jordan Bennington, who came into this game in game three for the Blues, he stole a save. You got to do that if you're going to win some of these playoff games, especially on a team. Maybe that's a little bit less talented than the team you're playing. But he stole that Caprizov goal at a time that would have tied the game, I believe, at two. And that was really the last good push the Wild made. And the Blues, for all of their warts down the stretch at the end of the regular season, they're injured, they're dinged up they're an older group they're missing tory krug who's probably their best defenseman at this point they hung around they outlasted the wild bennington made a few saves when he needed to today and that's a group that a lot of those guys were there in 2019 a few of them aren't there anymore you think about petrangelo no longer there of course pat maroon who's playing right now as i'm recording i'm looking at a pat maroon goal with, on the sportsnet intermission which is why i mentioned him. But that's not exactly the same group that was there. They still got Craig Berube, who's a pretty good coach. He's not a great coach, but pretty good, pretty good. I'd say he's somewhere like eight, nine, which that's something. That's better than the league average coach who most of these teams are saddled with, or worse. And I picked the Wild to win that series in seven. It's tied at two games apiece after four. I. I don't really think Game 5 matters. I think either of those teams could beat the other one two times in a row. So that's probably the best series on paper before the playoffs started. And it's lived up to the billing so far. Very entertaining games. The high-end players are making plays. Like what I see from Caprizov, man. That guy is very fun to watch. He might be the most fun non connor McDavid player in hockey to watch because he is so dynamic with his skating he's able to find soft spots on the ice with his feet get there pull someone to him and then either rip it or set somebody else up i love watching him play if you haven't gotten a chance to watch the wild yet come on now what are you doing you had friday and you had sunday come on spend some time watch the wild on tuesday appreciate Kapril caprizov next the game that's on right now The Lightning and the Leafs. The Lightning are thoroughly ass-kicking the Leafs right now. This series has been very weird. All of the games have been blowouts. The team that's won has won by multiple goals in each of these games. I don't really know what to make of that because you would expect this series to be pretty tightly contested these are very talented teams on both sides high-end players all over the place pretty good goaltenders on both sides a good one in jack campbell a great one in andre vasilevsky and you wouldn't know it uh when a team has played bad in this series they've gotten boat raced out of the game and that's in part because when one of those teams has gotten behind they've sold out to try and generate offense and that leads to odd man rushes going the other way that's where a lot of these goals have come from why these games have become such blowouts i picked the leafs to win this series um in the games they've lost i haven't felt very good about that i'll just be frank with you in the games they've lost jack Campbell hasn't stolen one goal like he's kind of needed you kind of need to to win one of these games that's kind of unfortunate for the leafs jack Campbell got pulled from this game that's on right now uh the leafs got to figure it out uh they have the talent to win this series um the lightning do too that, that's kind of the thing the leafs when they've been good in the regular season they've played just enough defense that they were able to outscore the other team and so far in the games they've lost they haven't played good enough defense to keep their offense in the game and they've had to sell out to try and generate extra offense i mean it's five nothing right now And I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Leafs aren't going to be making this game particularly competitive, which is frustrating because I want this series to be great and it has the potential to be great. And it certainly could be after this game. I just want to see good players making good plays, man. Is that so much to ask? I want to see the good teams play well. Okay, last hockey series before we do the two races. We'll talk a little basketball, too edmonton and and um the kings edmonton pulled away uh they lost game one in edmonton game one and game two edmonton stomped them uh transition lots of speed putting pressure on the slower la defense mike smith has made just enough saves to win these games the oilers are winning pretty hot they're not playing particularly pretty hockey they're exploiting clear matchup advantages especially in transition when the oilers are playing well they have the de- secondary scoring. And I want to say, I forget who it was who tweeted it. One of the Oilers content creators I follow on Twitter tweeted that when McDavid and Dryside aren't on the ice, the Oilers still have 70% of the goals. That's a good recipe for success for the Oilers. Because if those top two lines aren't going and the bottom six is still scoring. That likely means they're going to win the game because the Oilers' bottom six doesn't score a lot. So if it is scoring a lot, they're likely outscoring the other team's bottom six. If the Oilers get to the second round, I really hope we get a battle of Alberta. And we'll talk about that more going forward. We need things to happen there, obviously. Uh, Calgary's trailing in their series. The Oilers could very well lose tonight, and that series could be two games to two going back to Edmonton. But if the oilers are going to win this series they need to keep turning up that tempo they need to be in transition they need to be creating rush opportunities they need to be putting pressure on that la defense they got jonathan quick pulled from the game on friday night which is very nice to see this is a permanently jack campbell jack campbell Jonathan Quick hating. Jack Campbell was a a Kings goalie at one point in the Leafs training for him. This is the Jonathan Quick hate podcast. I'm sorry. It always will be. Jonathan Quick hates puppies. If you remember that joke, you're in my age bracket. I'm very happy for you. Okay. Last general thought on the playoffs so far before I get out of here. To basketball and racing. The referees suck. Okay. They're bad. Just everybody knows the referees in hockey are bad they're too slow there's not enough of them they're not consistent they don't explain their decisions and it makes the experience bad for everybody we need oversight the referees need to be explaining these decisions they need to have transparency they need to either make them available to the media after games or they need to write out typed reports explaining these decisions especially especially the goaltender interference calls we've seen which have swung multiple games in some of these series i mean i still am not particularly upset the goal the Rangers scored in game one was disallowed because of goaltender interference at the same time i've seen goals with more contacts be allowed in these series so i would like some clarity on that i need them not just to say we've got a good goal or we've got no goal there's goalie interference you need to explain exactly what in the play is causing it to be goalie interference or to be a good goal that is what i need from the nhl officials okay real quick the miami formula one debacle i'll do an entire episode on this at some point with one of my formula one friends so i have someone to bounce ideas off of but it wasn't a very competitive race the track was not very good this was a very clearly a money grab they raced in a fucking parking lot on a surface not conducive to motor racing they exploited the american market america's very hungry for formula one races they said fuck it we can throw a race together very quickly and haphazardly I'm very glad Lando was okay. That was a nasty incident that happened towards the end of the race where his tire came completely off after rubbing with somebody else. Max won. I'm very tired of Red Bull. Max is annoying. Um, I don't particularly have a feel right now. I still am very skeptical that Ferrari is going to keep having these problem-free races. We'll see what happens. Darlington entertaining race a strategy based race joey logano won he survived everybody kind of ran out of tires because that track was chewing through them it was very entertaining it was good it was good to have on the tv opposite hockey and the mech game and the other sports i was floating around between because consistent race not a ton of cautions a handful really a couple nasty interior wall hits bubble Wallace, kurt bush both really hit hard on that inside wall but The nascar season's been very interesting so far i gotta get a nascar person on here to bounce ideas off of going forward because the season's been interesting but it'll help if i have someone else to bounce ideas off of because that season is so long and there's still so much time i mean we're all of i think 14 races into the regular season and we still got another 25 before we crown a champion so lots of time to talk about nascar more in depth but i like this style of racing we saw at darlington The strategy-based ones where it'll come down to tires and pit stops as opposed to wreck fests and whoever avoids the wrecks the most that's not as entertaining that's fine for daytona for talladega that's it okay that's all i need i like strategy in motorsports it's one of my complaints about formula one is that they can get by with only making one stop during a race we need more make the decision making more important in in the outcome of races okay real quick on basketball we're at 50 minutes i don't like doing more than 30 minutes unless i have a guest but a lot of topics to broach on number one um the celtics got to get tatum going that was the biggest problem for them in game three the other day he had a really tough time going offensively because he couldn't get going offensively he was pretty clearly demoralized wasn't as competitive for rebounds defensively wasn't giving as much on that end The Celtics hung around in that game. They got it down to the last possession. They very easily could have tied the game if Al Horford had simply tapped in one of those rebounds into the basket. And it just didn't happen for them. I still think the Celtics have a chance in that series. But they're going to need Tatum going. And they're going to need a little bit of secondary scoring from somebody else. Next series I wanted to touch on. Philly and Dallas. Excuse me, Philly and Dallas. Phoenix and Dallas. Very happy that Luca's teammates decided to show up. It was fun to see Jalen Brunson get going. Finney Smith has had a nice series for Dallas, but I still think Phoenix has a little bit too much depth for Dallas. Dallas is very contingent on Luca playing well. They got some good help for him this weekend in Game 3 and Game 4 from, as I mentioned, Brunson and Finney Smith in particular. Phoenix, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with Chris Paul on Sunday. I think he had six points and five fouls not a very efficient game from him they when phoenix is right they're running the offense through him dallas's defense was just good enough gave him a hard time pulled away over the course of the third and the fourth hit a lot of threes the phoenix defense wasn't as good and they couldn't get anything going offensively because chris paul wasn't facilitating memphis and golden state that's back on monday night as well that series getting a little bit chippy uh on both sides those teams are very clearly wearing thin on each other draymond irking people John ja Morant's injury status is up in the air he got his knee grabbed on the nba said they were gonna review the video on it as per woge on saturday night i haven't seen anything following up there i think golden state is a better team but memphis john morant's on one of those go- those heat checks one of those this is my moment i'm here for it i hope he's okay to play it'd be very disappointing if john morant couldn't play one of the most entertaining players to watch all in all basketball golden state's weird at this point because Steph and clay aren't Stephen clay anymore draymond's not draymond but the secondary guys man pool's been very good for them They've gotten something out of Wiggins, and that's been enough for them to this point. I still think Golden State very easily could win the whole thing, but they got to get Steph and Clay going, man. That That's really the recipe. They got to get one of those two guys going to play off a pool, and then everything else kind of falls into place. If Golden State can figure out the optimal lineup of death like they did when they had Durant, then all bets are off, okay? Th- that's really what it comes down to. Last series in the NBA I haven't touched on is Miami and Philly. They're playing right now. Embiid came back on Saturday, on Friday night with a broken orbital bone, wearing the Batman mask. Embiid is one of those guys where the Sixers irked me because they probably could be better if they had a better coach and they had better decision makers in positions of power, but. Embiid just loves to ball, man, and as somebody who just loves sports, seeing guys who love the game the same way you do is a very validating life experience, and Embiid is about the shit. There's a reason that guy will just see people dribbling a basketball in the park and then go dunk on one of them, because that man just loves basketball, and it's extremely foolish for him to be playing with a broken face and after being violently concussed, but... They're going to let him play because they need him to. He wasn't great on Friday, but he gave them a little bit of juice. That crowd was fired up and excited. That was a fun game for stretches on Friday. I still think Miami will probably end up winning that series, but if Embiid has that same kind of Willis Reed effect where he's not giving you a ton on the stat sheet, but he gets everybody fired up and excited, and you can play off the crowd when you have home court, that's worth something. Okay. Okay. That will just about do it for today's show. Tomorrow's episode might just be me bitching about the Rangers for 40 minutes if they lose Game 4, and they very well could lose Game 4, and I will be furious because, like I said before, the Rangers have more talent than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's just playing better. We'll see. Rangers, please don't make me disappointed. Get this back to two games to two. Win a Game 5 on home ice and go from there let's go. You played that well in the regular season. You had a good record off of a loss in the regular season. Make it fucking happen. Alright, I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show.